Hello and welcome, everyone. This is yet another exciting episode to close out the wonderful year of 2023 here at Army of Smartness Style. I'm your co-host, Ryan. Today on the show, we're giving you a bit of a primer for next year. Uh, going over, uh, we're, obviously, next year, we are going to be following 1996 as it happened uh, because 1996 lines up perfectly with 2024. So those of you that have grannies that can't can't seem to get rid of anything, pull out that 1996 uh, calendar of kittens because it's finally, after years and years of waiting, now is the time to pull that calendar out. But in order for us to talk about that, we have to give you a primer on what happened on years leading up so you get along to go along and then you watch along and we'll probably do some of those as well but also mr don the predator fries in the news for a good reason this time but mm-hmm. if i'm a co-host that means we have a star and the star of the show of course is mr jd jd how you be oh i thought that don fry would be the star and that he, he may uh Certainly have that uh, that that accolade over yours truly. Doing well, Ryan. Doing well. Uh, <clears throat> yes, pull out that. Uh, as you know, if you have a nine if you have a nineteen ninety six calendar laying around, you know good and damn well it's a Baywatch calendar. That's first thing. Secondly, yes, Don Fry in the news uh, as a Hall of Famer. Do I understand that correctly, Ryan? He is. He has uh, been nominated to be the George Tragos hall of fame uh of course in the national wrestling hall of fame in waterloo iowa that uh, of course is the location of the don gable museum uh don gable of course a dan gable i think is it. i said don didn't i well don fry That's dan gable don dan don dan and all the rest of them i will uh, huey dewey all, and louie first of all both of those gentlemen i will not be calling them by the first names they are mr fry and mr gable uh, that's correct but uh anyways yeah there's a good uh good accolade for him uh we need more people like don fry in this world because particularly we need uh more people like don fry perhaps coaching the atlanta falcons um because oh. they lack toughness they lack uh well they just lack uh, a yeah. lot yeah you can just probably just leave it at that the they Atlanta, lack full stop. The Atlanta Flackings, they're they're lack they're lacking. Uh, but, of course, but, we yeah Falcons. We uh, all those weapons, all that money, seven points. We lose to somebody, a team that was headed for a solid one and sixteen. <laughs> hey, they doubled their win total now. Not on our watch, baby. <laughs> no, That's no, right. no. We're going to do everything we possibly can to hold this. It, you know, I thought that thought that years previous, <clears throat> Arthur Smith was just good at holding better teams close. He's just good at holding teams close no matter how good they are. Uh, As though they were tiny dancers, absolutely. Exactly. And I just, uh, I think that Arthur Blank has already said that he's going to bring him back for another year. And I well, think that was before this, though. And I think he's going to live to regret that comment because uh, well, I am upset. ready. I am ready to move on uh, respectfully from Mr. Smith. Uh, I think he would make a fine uh, assistant to somebody else. 
but, I think he would really. I think he'd make a, a fine uh, executive vice president of FedEx. So I think he could walk into that job right now. This is daddy. It started FedEx, is that right? Owns FedEx. Some, some. Uh, He's a founder. <clears throat> big thing to do with FedEx. Yeah, he found he found FedEx. Um, <clears throat> he uh, he actually I, uh, he actually founded or actually helped found uh, FedEx by uh, going to Las Vegas and uh, play, playing craps tables. Um, he well, and craps indeed. Now we took, have for the Atlanta Falcons. Took the last five thousand dollars his company had, went to Vegas and gambled it all to pay the uh, to make payroll. So there you go. So here's a lesson, kids: gambling always works. Um, so last year, uh, the uh, your Atlanta Falcons were seven and ten. The year prior to that, your Atlanta Falcons were seven and ten. We now sit six and eight with three games left. What do you think that record's going to be, Ryan? Six and eleven. God, let's hope so. <laughs> I think that would put us drafting eighth, where we could potentially be in striking range. Of, of a new new quarterback. Uh, I'll, t- I'll I, tell you what quarterback we're not going to get. That's going to be Carson Beck. He has, of course, decided to boom. stay at uh, the University of Georgia for one more to get his own ring. Um, that's right. And of course, tall order next year. That's a hell of a schedule. But yes, it's also not going to be Dynamite back in the camp. Yeah, yeah, Dylan Crayola has decided to take his talents to uh, Lincoln. Good luck, buddy. Good luck, pal. As I mentioned uh, to another uh, another friend of mine, um, yeah, he's going where he can't do anybody any harm in in Lincoln, Nebraska. He, yeah, so his uncle uh, works there, is on the coaching staff. So I understand mm-hmm. his dad I think, played there. So I get it. I mean, I don't get it, but I get it. But hey, look, we got Napoleon Dynamite coming back, as I said. Buglisi signed for next year, and then you know the transfer portal never never means never having to say you're committed. So we're just one transfer portal transplant away from having a top quarterback yet again. So, um, yeah, good good luck. I mean, some luck. I wish you all the luck needed to contend in the Big Ten West. Yeah, and he, uh, of course, he, he needs to get a, a year of experience under his belt before he enters into <clears throat> the transfer portal. Uh, so That's right. way to go, Dylan. Um yeah, we got this uh, Ryan, I believe it's Ryan Puglisi. Puglisi is a, Puglisi. Uh, again, one of those things I've only seen spelled. I haven't seen it, uh, heard it pronounced. I think I it's Puglisi. I don't know how this kid's going to play, but I sure as hell like his attitude. Uh, That's right. He's got, you know, people are raving about his attitude. He wants to be at Georgia. He's excited about yes. being there. And he's got a great first name. So uh, we're going to go with uh, Ryan Puglisi. Uh, well, and he was he was committed even when um, Dylan was committed. So yeah, he had no no qualms about competing for the starting job. Uh, so yeah, good on him. Absolutely proud to see that kind of fight in our in our boys. Absolutely. Well, uh, Mr. CM Punk seems to be moving merch again, just uh, in time for Christmas, pal. Yeah, I have uh, yet to. I don't think. I think I don't know that I have one CM Punk shirt anywhere. I might. Yeah, I, wait. Yeah, I have one from his first run at WWE, and I have one from AEW, and that's a. I don't. I don't. I don't feel the need to get another WWE. I'll sketch it when he goes back. When he, you know, maybe use an Impact next year. 
Well, excuse me, TNA. Oh, that's right. It's back. Well, I mean, the show is still called Impact, right? No. Or is the show even still on? It's TNA. I understand the brand. Okay, this is why it got confusing. They went from TNA, the flagship television program, which was TNA Impact. Then they dropped the TNA and just became Impact Wrestling. <clears throat> Although they never really dropped the, the TNA, not really. So then now they brought the TNA back, but the show presumably is still called Impact, is it not? I don't believe so. What is it now? Just TNA? I don't think they have any impact whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) They certainly haven't on the ratings, but. uh... Yeah, well, um, good for them. They're they're back being TNA again. And uh, Mm -hmm. some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people like me don't give a damn one way or the next. Um, it does not affect me in any, any way, shape, form, or fashion. So do what you need to do, pal. All Gucci on this end. Of course, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, but we're not going to dwell on too much of that. And of course, we have a we have a few things going on uh, as it pertains to our show. Uh, as I mm-hmm. mentioned, we are going to be covering 1996. Before we get into our primer here, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook at Army of Smartness, and of course, email that Gmail, Army of Smartness at gmail.com. And if you would please leave us that five star review and uh, shoot us shoot us a DM if you do that. I'd like to give you a shout out. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, anywho, so JD, if we're going to be covering mm-hmm. 1996. Yes. Uh, in <clears throat> week by week going into next year, I guess it's fair to say we need to know how we got to 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that being said, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's till the soil before we plant the mm-hmm. seeds here. Okay. So you're our hero in chief. So Mr. JD, how exactly do we get to where we need to be? Well, uh, <clears throat> that's a question the wrestling world itself was asking uh, in late 1995. But that—that's how—that is indeed how we got to 1996. We just stepped right outside of 1995, and there it was. Um, <clears throat> but the wrestling business as a whole was in a bit of a lull, um, you know, from what about late '93 all the way through '95, really, and it really into '96. But let's back up a little bit and get a little bit of context. It'll get a little bit of. Um, a head start to run headlong into 1996. One of, if perhaps maybe not the most pivotal year in uh, certainly the Monday Night Wars, uh, but perhaps in modern professional wrestling since the late, you know, the 80s boom. Um, But let's go back to the 80s boom and see how those seeds get sown. Uh, 1983, I believe, is when Mr. McMahon uh, of the now WWE uh, late of the WWE, I suppose, at this point, he purchases his father's promotion, the WWWF, which was born from, from the old Capital Wrestle, Wrestling Corporation back in the day when there were territories all over the country. And we've touched on that a little bit on previous shows. Won't get too much into that. But Waterloo, Iowa does play, play into that. So it's interesting that we bring that up today. Um, the NWA was formed in Waterloo, Iowa. And I believe that was its headquarters for a very long time. Um, but the Capital Wrestling Corporation was not technically a part of the NWA. 
as well as a few other ones. Uh, Vern Gagne with the AWA was not in the NWA. Um, Jerry Jarrett and the Memphis group was kind of had a footsie relationship with the NWA. Um, Mid-South Wrestling was not a full-fledged member. And part of this was to keep the government off of their backs from not being a monopoly, basically. Uh, so, no, no, we're not a monopoly. There's these other you know, wrestling territories, uh, promotions around the country. So, uh, <clears throat> going into 1983, Vince buys the company from his dad. 1984, he puts the belt on one Mr. Hulk Aloysius Hogan. As we touched on uh, when we talked about Bob Backlund, the, the belt went from Bob Backlund to the Iron Sheik very briefly, and then the American hero, um, Hulk Hogan, wins the, the WWF, I believe, still at the time, title from the Iron Sheik, and then very soon after that, they dropped one of the Ws. It was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. They, uh, Vincent Mann is a body guy, as you know, he can't stand the wideness, so he dropped the wide out and became just the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, and they go on to launch their national expansion in 1984, as we have discussed, um, in, a, in previous episodes. It wasn't really a matter of if, it was a matter of when somebody was going to go national. McMahon just did it first and best. Or did it best first, whatever. Um, <clears throat> as we'll see over the next four or five years, other promoters will try to follow suit. Um, you know, they have varying degrees of success with that. Uh, the aforementioned Vern Gagne had a deal with ESPN, the very, very fledgling ESPN. That persisted on into like 90, 91. Uh, so he had a syndicated program on there for most of the 80s. Bill Watts would rechristen Mid-South the UWF, the Universal Wrestling Federation. Um, and then, you know, he, he, he did a decent effort of trying to make that happen. Uh, Fritz Von Erich with the w, WCCW also tried to go national, and then it would turn into the USWA when uh, Jerry Jarrett from Memphis bought Fritz out. But none of those guys ever really got the kind of national exposure that the WWF got, nor – did they get the same kind of national exposure that the second best at this guy? That would be Jim Crockett Promotions, which came to become the the, the forefront NWA promotion. Sort of, I, I call it the first among equals, as Caesar Augustus called himself. Uh, they technically were members of the NWA, but they were telling the NWA what to do instead of the other way around, really, because they had the Superstation, they had TBS. They had Ric Flair as the, the traveling NWA world champion for most of the 80s. Um, JCP was not the uh, de jour NWA, but in a de facto sense, they really were the NWA for all intents and purposes uh, in terms of revenue, exposure, star power, uh, and just pure clout that they had in the industry. You can safely think of them as being the NWA. All right, so this situation continues for a few years. The NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, actually the first to uh, to pay-per-view with Starcade. Um, <clears throat> and, of course, that, that starts sort of a one-upsmanship between him and, and Vince for uh, pay-per-view space. Um, and this kind of can persist until 1988 when Jim Crockett is sort of overextended uh, by trying to run national. And they move their offices from Charlotte to Dallas. Uh, they basically get into a bind where they had money coming, but it wasn't going to be on their books for several months, if I understand that correctly, Ryan. Um, the the pay-per-view revenue would sort of lag 
behind and they weren't prepared for that uh, for whatever reason. A lot of fingers get pointed at a certain accountant, uh, but I don't know. I don't besmirch uh, Mr. Johnson um, at this time. But long story short, Ted Turner owns T TBS. Jim Crockett's show is on TBS. Now, you know what, Ted? Why don't you just buy this thing from me? And Ted says, you know what? I think I will. So Ted buys Jim Crockett Promotions and launches World Championship Wrestling. Now, at this point, they still have their NWA affiliation. They are still promoting NWA-based titles. That's why you'd see, like, the U.S. tag team titles and, and the Western States Heritage Championship there for a while. Uh, and the, the old Red Strap TV title, the Arn Anderson TV title that we all know and love. Um, these are all NWA branded belts that the that WCW would continue to promote up until January 11th, excuse me, up until 1993. I apologize for that. But um, <clears throat> the, the WCW model of um, withdrawing, uh, excuse me, of being kind of co-branded with NWA didn't really work for anybody for, for either side at this point. So in September of 1993, WCW finally and permanently withdraws from the NWA. They uh, do not promote their belts as NWA belts anymore. The big gold belt that had been the NWA title for almost 10 years at that point becomes the WCW international title because they, they'd had to replace the WCW belt when Ric Flair had gone to WWF a couple of years prior uh, but he's back now. The big gold belt is back, but it's not really affiliated with NWA anymore. Working back a little bit, January 11th of 1993, this is a game changer. WWF Raw debuts on USA. This rapidly becomes WWF's flagship program, and obviously it's still going 30 years down the road. Um, this is a huge departure for wrestling as both companies have been leaning heavily on their syndicated programming. Uh, syndication being you just sell your, your tape to local affiliates in one town. It might be CBS in another town. It might be Fox and it, it didn't matter. So that's why I said, check your local listings. If you'll recall that these were syndicated programs that might be on any network, depending on who buys them. So that's what a syndicated program is. So the both companies have been leaning heavily on their syndicated program as well as their national cable shows for the past decade. But those shows were formatted very differently from Raw. WWF had had primetime wrestling and Tuesday Night Titans on USA, but Tuesday Night Titans was more of a variety show, talk show thing. The 80s were weird. There was cocaine involved. That's not the point. Um, and whereas primetime wrestling was a recap of, of various arena shows around the country. So you had these interstitials with, with uh, Rilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan introducing matches that might take place in Philadelphia, and then another one might take place in the Boston Garbage, all, all on the same show. So these weren't really aiming to show a start-to-finish live event like Raw was. That's where Raw was different. Uh, it wasn't always live, not even usually live at this point, but it pre presented a full show, presented a full show from start to finish. Like if you would, if you had gone, this is what you would have seen. Uh, WCW's flagship program, WCW Saturday Night, was essentially a studio wrestling show, which is a holdover from back in the territory days. That's what everybody had. You had a few squash matches. You had uh, interviews, you know, live interviews with, uh, with the talent. But it was mainly a promotional vehicle to sell tickets to the house shows. 
Um, so it looked like it. There were just, you know, a few benches, a few risers or bleachers, whatever you want to call them, maybe three or four rows deep. And that was pretty much it. It wasn't being booked and shown at an arena the way Raw was. So Raw was very special and, and kind of broke the mold um, for its time. Now, later on in 1993, Eric Bischoff has made the executive producer of WCW, and initially he's sharing power with Bob Duke. Uh, Eric was young and energetic enough to really want to take the fight to Vince in a way no one ever had. Um, he would say he was too young to know what he didn't know. <laughs> he didn't know what he didn't know, but he had the guts to go after it. And to his credit, he absolutely did. Uh, some of his early ideas were the Disney tapings aimed at increasing the production value of WCW programs while streamlining costs. Uh, what, what the Disney pro tapings were, were they taped, several weeks if not months of programming in like a week at the disney mgm studios and they would use people who were just coming through the park uh as the crowd so they had a new crowd that rotated through every hour people just wanted to come in get it get in the air conditioning uh you may or you may have had some wrestling fans in there they may not have been wrestling fans so it's just an interesting um way to kind of streamline production costs eric also at this point essentially got rid of house shows which was a huge, huge, huge uh, change for how wrestling business businesses made money. Uh, so very interesting time of change in 1993. So another thing that Eric wanted to do was bring in major WWF talent uh, at this point, namely Gene Okerlund and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now this is going to be a pattern. It's going to continue. We're going to see. We're going to get back to this a little bit later. Um, but as I said, in September, WCW finally splits from the NWA. 1994 rolls around. Eric Bischoff is promoted to have sole control of WCW at this point. Ryan? Mm -hmm. I got it. You want to take on 1994? Yes, Mr. Bischoff is actually, I believe his title uh, for 1994 is Senior Vice President. Now he had gotten this job over a couple of different applicants. One of them, uh, was also Tony Schiavone, uh, but Bischoff gets the nod over everyone else, uh, moves, as you said, moves WCW production to Disney MGM studios in Orlando. And of course he really, um, uh, shakes up things by signing Hulk Hogan, uh, to WCW, of course, Ric Flair makes the introduction to Bischoff with uh, Mr. I Hogan. That, uh, Mike, Mike Graham did that. No, that was Flair. Flair is very quick to remind you of that. Um, oh, okay. Was it wasn't Greg Gagne. I thought it was Greg. Is it not Greg? Greg Gagne? No, it was. Apparently, oh. Bischoff had never ran in. Bischoff comes into AWA after Hogan leaves, uh, so he he never really meets Hogan until the nineties. But anyways, but Ric Flair is always very quick every time he talks about Bischoff to remind him that he was the one that brought Hogan in uh, or made the introduction. So Hogan uh, debuts on WCW television around March 1994. Uh, he's also in the middle of filming Thunder in Paradise. And the storyline at the time is, should I continue being in Hollywood or should I come back and fight the bad guys, brother? Uh and of course, the match that everybody is foaming at the mouth for is Hogan versus Ric Flair. Uh, after some time, uh, he debuts in, in March 94 on television. They eventually have the 
his first match in WCW uh, is Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan in July 1994 at Bash at the Beach. At that point, this sets records uh, for WCW as far as pay-per-view buys are concerned. Uh, Bischoff looks like a genius at this point. Now, as WCW is getting hotter, WWF ain't looking too good. Uh, Vince McMahon is actually very close to filing bankruptcy uh, at this point. He's he's embroiled in a steroid trial, uh, had been dealing with this stuff since, I believe, early 93. And he, you know, it's just not a good look for wrestling as a whole. Uh, McMahon actually brings on Jerry Jarrett, who obviously father of Jeff Jarrett and uh, promoter himself out of Nashville and brings uh, Jerry Jarrett on to uh, t essentially run the business if it, if McMahon has to go to prison. I mean, that's that's how close this was to happening. Uh, obviously, Lex Express is in full swing at this point, talking about Lex Luger getting the push to go along. Stay tuned, that'll come in later. But it's an overall down year for WWF, and uh, you see a lot of... Uh, occupational gimmicks in 1994 of course you have duke the dumpster drossy uh tl hopper just various just not good gimmicks and it looks very campy very corny and very uh childish at times and it just doesn't translate too well to these kids that have grown up watching professional wrestling in 1983 and 1984 87 88 They've grown up watching it. They're older now. They're not into the child stuff. So you start seeing a little bit of an edge come through. And the, or dare I say, extremism. Uh, so ECW actually gets kicked off in 1994 by Shane Douglas throwing down the NWA title, program, proclaiming that ECW is the only real heavyweight championship. Uh what was once the Eastern Championship Wrestling becomes Extreme Championship Wrestling under the leadership of Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon. ECW becomes in many ways the leader in hardcore and Lucha Libre wrestling. Now, during this time, Bischoff supposedly is not watching or caring about ECW, but if you see some of the things that he is bringing into WCW, it does seem to mirror what... Uh, Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon have done to an extent. Uh, now this brings us into 1995 with WWF. Shawn Michaels uh, wins the Royal Rumble uh, in February. Terry Funk is actually returning to ECW <laughs> again. And uh, in February 95, Hulk Hogan uh, defeats uh, Vader by DQ a Super Brawl. So Hogan is is meandering through these feuds that, well. To be honest with you, the, the crowd is kind of getting sick of the red and yellow. Um, it's always, it's the same, and not only that, but it's the same guys that he's been fighting for the last 10 years. Uh, you look at the uh, the debut of Dungeon, Dungeon of Doom, which is uh, May 1995. Uh, he brings in, uh, he actually brings in Renegade, uh, which was his ultimate surprise. Get it? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, who looks suspiciously like a certain ultimate warrior and mm. WrestleMania 11 diesel defeats Sean and uh, Lawrence Taylor defeats Bam Bam 
This is uh, in April of 1995. It's it's good. It's big on star power, but it doesn't really push the needle. the The problem is not the star power. The problem is creative and the direction that everything is going. Now, around this time, in about middle of 1995, Eric Bischoff has a meeting. The only meeting apparently he ever had at Ted Turner's office. Uh, mm -hmm. Ted Turner smells blood in the water. Uh, Vince is down right now. Um, and he says, well, Eric, how can we, uh, how can we take on Vince? I said, well, I think, uh, and, and Eric Bischoff has this thing. It says you can be greater than less than or different than he thinks, well, I'm going to take everything that Monday night raw is doing and I'm going to do it different. Okay. The, what WWF is doing here, their occupational gimmicks are very cheesy, very corny, very fake. I'm going to make mine. I want to make mine very real. They do like Glacier. They do taped. Um, they do tapings for Monday night. Oh, let's do it live and let's give away their finish on the, on the match. So around this time, well, that's where Ted Turner says, Hey, well, all right, let's give him. He gets on the phone with whomever is in charge of TNT at the time, which might've been, might've been Bill Shaw, but anyways, he gets on the phone. And says, it was Brad Siegel. Was it Brad Siegel? Yeah. And I thought so. that's fine. And so he gets on the phone and says, ah, let's give Eric, uh, two hours, um, live for Monday night, some Monday nitro. So Monday nitro, the very first live Monday nitro, which I would say that you would, you, well, obviously it's a war. The Monday night wars don't start until you have two competing programs on Monday night, which by the way, this was a month before the collision in Korea happened. Uh, we've of course talked about collision in Korea, uh, watch the dark side of the ring on that, but basically <laughs> everybody goes to North Korea and almost dies. Uh, with the exception, mm -hmm. exception of Hogan, Hogan, that doesn't work for me, brother. And, uh, well, let's be honest. That's one of the few smart moves that Hogan makes that year. And, uh, but you know, at the same time, WWF is meandering around with King Mabel, Vince the King of the ring, uh, and diesel beats King, uh, King Mabel at some, at SummerSlam. And it's just very uninspired booking at this point. Now, Nitro, on the other hand, buddy, they get kicked off big time on this one. The Lex Express that I mentioned earlier. Well, Mr. Luger decides that uh, he is going to accept a very, what Eric Bischoff terms to be a very low offer of 150, I want to say 150, 180,000 a year that was guaranteed to Lex if Lex would just come over, Lex was making way more money with Vince, but, uh, for whatever reason, Lex decided, eh, I need to get out of here. I need to do, I need to go to WCW. So Lex shows up in his nice white poofy shirt, mm -hmm. uh, September, 1995 on the very first Monday night, uh, Monday nitro. Um, and, uh, they are off to the races as they say. And then, of course, December 1995, in Augusta, Georgia, mm -hmm. Medusa 
aka Alondra Blades, leaves WWF, shows up on WCW Nitro, and drops the women's title, the WWF women's title, and the trash. And this is when Vince says, this is real competition. Which is extremely interesting that now he's saying that. Uh, but at this point, so WCW and WWF, I mean, you really start seeing, seeing them going back and forth to one another. WCW expands to 10 pay-per-views for 1995. WWF expands to 10 pay-per-views for 1995. And at this point, you did not think that there could be a, a rival uh, wrestling promotion that could even come close to WWF at this point, let alone beating them in the ratings uh, mm. once or twice as they, as they come across. Uh, they had all the momentum on their side. WWF is a mess at the end of 1995. They are about to lose, we'll say, some cornerstones of their current roster. They're definitely about to lose the world champion that is currently uh, in 1995, the world champion, uh, Diesel, of course. That it, it it's it just uh, and and not only that, but it was in 1995 is when you start seeing the UFC come along. UFC actually surpasses WWF and WCW on pay per views. Uh, that that's how. MMA has started to take the world by storm and, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just a very interesting time. Of course, 1996 is going to have so many pivotal moments in history. You're talking the debut of the, of the new world order. Uh, oh, just the rise of Austin, the rise of the, oh, uh, well, <laughs> not the rise of the rock rock doesn't come in until later, but it's 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 gonna be a well, tail end of the year. Well, uh, excuse me, Rocky Maya. Well, the, uh, but, the rise of mankind certainly. Mick Foley reinvents himself in 1996. Yeah, but there's there's a lot of uh, question marks for World Wrestling Federation at this point. Uh, they are having declining <laughs> buy rates, declining ratings, declining amount of house house shows, and it doesn't look good at this point. Um, they are looking to build around youth at this point, but they are the youth is not quite where it needs to be. And 1996 is supposed to be built around Shawn Michaels, but uh, you know, more or less does get built around Shawn, and and then you've got the whole Bret Hart feud coming in 96, 97. It's um, like I said, it it didn't it. Let's just say 96 ended a lot better for WWF than it started out with. And it also did for WCW. But uh, yeah, this is this is about to be off to the races here. So the, uh, Yeah, absolutely it is. And I want to uh, point out a couple of things, what you were talking about there. Um, <clears throat> as we as you pointed out, Hulkamania is not is beginning to run mild at this point. It's just you've seen it. For the last ten years, and and that's a you know long time, um, you know the the WWF had, had kind of hitched its wagon to, to marketing to children for the last several years, and those kids kids like me were aging out of that demographic. So I was you know what twelve years old in nineteen ninety five, we turned thirteen in ninety six. So yeah, you know, the the vitamins, the prayers, the the garbage men, all that sort of thing, 
uh, not really working for me anymore uh, as it was for a lot of folks around my age. Um, <clears throat> Lex Luger is an interesting subject because uh, at this point, not, late 1995, I would argue that the biggest stars in WCW were Hogan, Savage, who followed Hogan in in 94, uh, Flair, Sting, and Lex Luger. Now, one of these things, Ryan, is not like the other. Uh, what what can you what what can you tell me um, of those five gentlemen I just mentioned? Who sticks out to you there, and why? What what makes them different? I, I'm sorry, you you lost me. How how many? That's okay. no, how that's many people right. did you say? Uh, Hogan. We got Hulk Hogan, mm. Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Sting, and Lex Luger. One of these people is not like the others and I'll tell you, I'll go ahead and end the suspense Sting is the only one of those five that had never been in the WWF uh on the, for their side WWF I would say their biggest stars in late 95 are Diesel, Razor Ramon, The Undertaker, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Now in this case two of these are not like the others. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels are the only ones that hadn't been, previously been in WCW. So if you look at it in at the end of 95 the only people that had not been, that were top stars, that had not been on the other side of the fence within the previous five years were Sting, Hart, and Michaels. Isn't that crazy? But as That's I pointed great. out earlier, with uh, with Okerlund and Heenan and Hogan and Savage, um, WCW was taking established WWF talent, whereas WCW, excuse me, WWF was taking Vinny Vegas and the Diamond Stud and Ming Mark Callis, guys who had not had their main run yet. They were taking younger stars from the other side and making them into stars. And this is a pattern we're going to see over the course of the Monday Night Wars. One of the major, major things that WWF has that WCW doesn't, by and large, is the ability to make new stars. I'm not going to get into it all right now, but we'll see as we go along. Um, WCW does not, to my mind, generate the number of new stars that WWF does over this period. However, WCW is very good at giving those old stars a new, uh, a fresh paint of coat, a fresh coat of paint. Excuse me, I didn't mean to say it that way. Um, but yeah, so this is going to be a theme that develops around here. I think it's very interesting. To your point, uh, both promotions were at 10 pay-per-views per year by the end of 95 and have been trading wins back and forth in the primetime Monday night slot. So uh, on the precipice of a massive uh, a boon to the wrestling industry and a massive series of changes to the wrestling industry as we turn the clock to 1996. Very much so. And this is a very exciting time. To, I'm, I'm actually pretty pumped to talk about 96. Um, Absolutely. This is uh sort of the as you as we mentioned sort of the transition from the <laughs> the prayers the vitamins into hollywood into uh well we, we will not uh have our intelligence insulted um uh so yeah, pal. vince makes his uh ever so uh famous announcement that, that essentially they're going into attitude uh, mm-hmm. within 1986 so you're a lot of things happening this year i'm really pumped to cover it and uh i'm well i'm pumped to have you guys along so but with that being yeah, said join us for the ride it's gonna be a lot of fun 
Yeah, there's a couple of other things happening. I mean, Missy Hyatt's suing WCW because they called her a bimbo. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah, there, there's a few other things that are happening on the happening on the outside. And our, our my hope here is to uh, talk about the backstage goings on as it happens during the year. So, in other mm -hmm. words... Uh, Scott Hall, I believe, turns in his notice on the 22nd of January. We're going to be talking about that that week, uh, the, the week of the 22nd. So, um, and also, by the way, in 1995, towards the end of 1995, uh, DDP shows up at Eric Bischoff's house, who apparently he lives two houses, two houses down from at this point, excuse me, in Atlanta. And uh, says that his friend, Scott Hall, is uh, coming up for contract, his renewal. And uh, might be interested in talking to WCW. It just so happens, Scott Hall's very close friend, Mr. Kevin Nash, mm -hmm. well, his contract ends seven days after Scott's does. Hmm. So, uh, what are the odds? Mr. Bischoff had actually been to... New Japan and all Japan. Um, and so they, uh, you know, he notices something that the NWO over there, of course he, he says that Japan had no bearing whatsoever on the NWO, whatever. Um, well, but who knows where ideas really come from, but you know, all good in the hood, but, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. JD, JD, uh, if you got anything else you want to add on this, uh, just also, not necessarily on this topic, but uh, do be on the lookout. At some point, probably in the month of January, we're going to shoot you a bonus episode featuring our uh, review of the Iron Claw movie, as I've mentioned a couple times, because I am super excited for that. I hope it doesn't let me down. But uh... Well, yeah, but I mean, look, it, it's one of the most wrestling of wrestling stories, getting a mainstream uh, getting mainstream exposure, not related to WWF, not related to WCW, but old school territorial wrestling, getting the Hollywood treatment. How can you not be excited for the possibility, right? Oh, I'm very excited. I just don't want to be let down. That's all. Well, you know, tear. But uh, anyways, JD, if you got anything else you want to add, I will bid our listening audience adieu. Remind you to. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook at Army of Smartness, and of course, email that Gmail, Army of Smartness at gmail.com. JD, I will bid our listening audience adieu. I do. <laughs>